When you hear the phrase, soft as steel, what do you think of? While the word steel might conjure up images such as massive high-rise buildings, where does the soft part come in? And what exactly does this mean in our work and in our lives? Welcome to the Soft as Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran, featuring engaging conversations with a wide range of industry leaders around soft skills, how we practice love, inclusion, social justice, and compassionate leadership that's everlasting in the workplace. And now, here's Dennis Duran. My guest today is Gretchen Gagel. I met Gretchen in 2002 when I was hired by her and spent two years as her colleague at FMI, management consultants through the construction industry. That's 21 years ago. I almost feel like I have to stop right there. It's almost too much for me to take. However, let me continue. Gretchen has done so many things, had so many experiences, changed so many lives with her wide-ranging endeavors. Among her many accomplishments is a book that she wrote entitled Eight Steps to Being a Great Working Mom. That tells you something very important about this globetrotting thought leader, educator, consultant, podcast host, and motivator. In a word or words, she's authentic and caring. Gretchen would say that she loves her children first and then loves all that she has engaged in for the past 37 years since graduating from Southern Methodist University with a BS in mechanical engineering. What has followed is a career that includes a variety of connections with the construction industry being perhaps the most significant. Along the way in her journey, she added two master's degree and a PhD in organizational learning, performance, and change. Gretchen is the president and CEO of Greatness Consulting. She's the chair of you know, the board of Brinkman Construction, a U.S. construction firm. She's a member of the much-esteemed National Academy of Construction. She's on the board of the International Women's Forum in Australia. She is also an affiliate professor at the University of Denver and the Australian National University. Gretchen, welcome to the Softest Steel podcast. Thank you, Dennis. Gosh, 21 years. That's really hard to believe. It's been uh, wonderful to continue to see your successes as well. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. So, you know, I'm the soft skills guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm interested in talking about the people part of our industry and business in general, as are you. And so we have that common interest. And obviously your PhD, you just piled it on there with that PhD. You had to do the PhD, didn't you, Gretch? I did. Kind of crazy to go back at 50 and do a PhD, but it was fun. Let's start there. Talk to me about how you use what you learned in that program as you go about all of the many things that you're involved with. Oh, gosh. When I started the PhD, I was president of Continuum Advisory Group, advising in the construction industry in the U.S. In fact, I defended 20 days before I moved to Australia in 2018. Nothing like having a deadline, right? (laughs) And why I went back to do a PhD, I really wanted to understand how leaders create nimble organizations And having a degree in engineering and an MBA in finance, I really hadn't ever studied the social sciences, the soft skills, so to say. So I went back 50 years in leadership, 50 years in org culture. In fact, I became good friends with Edgar Schein, who's written several books on leadership and org culture, and 50 years in change management and really zeroed in on agility as a research component. And the fun part about the PhD was I was using things immediately in my consulting with my clients. And I'll give you a concrete example. Mm -hmm. Edgar Schein defines org culture as the physical artifacts that manifest themselves, that 
kind of describe our culture, mm-hmm. the things we espouse, the things we say on our website, and the things that are really happening, the shared beliefs that happen through action. And I thought, I'm going to test this artifact thing. So we were working with a client, 25 of their leaders, and I had them go out in groups and take pictures of what they felt identified their culture. And we put those pictures on a slideshow because if you say to a group of engineers, hey, what's your culture? They're just going to look at you like, what do you, you know? What do you mean? Right. And as they put each picture up, we captured the words they used to describe why they took that picture. One of the pictures was of a typewriter. This would have been in 2015. And it had a picture above it that said Office Equipment Museum. And I said, why is that typewriter still sitting there? Oh, we have one form we still use. And they had all their maps hanging up, even though they digitized them, they hadn't made them go away. So that's an example of, you know, it's just so fun to, to learn so much of the research behind leadership or culture and agility and be able to apply that immediately with my clients. Mm-hmm. The, last, uh, the last mention in your, in your PhD is change. What do we know about change uh, in your journeys? Well, it's really hard. Only 30% of change initiatives are successful, most research says. And it's interesting because we have a lot of research on what the good things are to do to make change happen. And um, it's interesting. Um, We did a study for the Gas Technology Institute on technology implementations that either worked or didn't work and talked to 13 different energy companies in the U.S., so a little of our own research on change and why it works or doesn't work. And it's, it's shortcutting the, the systems, shortcutting the communication, the why are we changing, the what's in it for me, uh, not holding people accountable to change. So we let people not change. And mm-hmm. then that, that sends a signal to people that, hey, we may not be serious about this change that we're making happen. Um and, and so there's a, a lot of great books and research out there on what you need to do to effectively lead change. We just skip steps mm-hmm. and then it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I guess it's, it's, it's fairly a, a fairly straightforward and true statement that the natural inclination of, of people, and it's different uh, across generations, is to resist. Yeah. Uh, is and, and you if you if you leave accountability off the table, uh, that plus resistance is failure. Yeah, it's interesting. I was meeting with um, the CEO of a company whose name you would recognize, ten thousand employees, and he was three years into a culture shift. And I asked him, "Who have you fired?" And he looked at me and he and like, "Well, that's a weird question, Gretchen." And I said, "Well, somebody's not getting in the boat." Mm-hmm. You know. I'm pretty sure when you, because they were making a significant change and, and um, the, I think the other thing I learned and why I went down, I went down two research rabbit holes. I went down a lot of them, but the two I went down most deeply was a, as a body of research around agility. There's a great book by Chris Worley um, on agility and ambidexterity and the agility research really dives into and what my research study, people can Google me, just Google Gretchen Gagel agility and you'll find my paper I wrote out of my dissertation research, is that creating um, an atmosphere where people know that change is going to happen, welcome change, and they're nimble. We can think of nimble companies that we interact with, right? And we know 
when, um, and this is not about black swan events. The pandemic was a black swan. It forced everybody to change. You know, of course we had to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but realizing that whether it's the environment, the political environment, the economy, inflation, recessions, um, changes in technology, that we are going to have to change as organizations. And the ones that are lo- successful long term work to create this culture of agility where people aren't afraid of change mm-hmm. and they're not a change. They're not afraid of um, failure. Mm-hmm. You know, Google fail fast, mm-hmm. but it's okay. And people's heads don't get chopped off and they learn from it and they move on and try another thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The word that pops on my mind. And again, I'm, I'm just, I'm just reacting to your great thoughts um, is, you know, one of the, to me, what I've learned in my more, I'll call it my more familial uh, conversational research that I've done is that, uh, you know, the, the people part is, you know, who we are uh, is, is something. Uh, but I, the phrase I use that I would craft a story around is how we are mm-hmm. when we deal with people yep. uh, in our lives and particularly in our organizations as leaders, um, you know, that our words and our actions are an equation, not a contradiction. Um, and so the word that came to my mind is, uh, and, I'll, and the question is this, what's, what's the role that trust plays mm. in organizational change and cultural shift? Yeah, it's everything. Uh, I mean, it really is. Um, having psychological safety. Amy Edmondson's book, The Fearless Organization, I really, I really love that book. Um, I was lucky enough to corral her onto my podcast before her book got hot. Now you can, now she has an auto reply on her email that says, I don't, I don't, I get thousands of emails. Thank you very much. I'm not going to answer you. <laughs> and um, that I go back to um, at 27, I was put in charge of a failing manufacturing company at 800 employees. million operating budget. We couldn't go three days without a lost time accident. I think we were throwing away like 14% of what we made. I mean, it was really bad. Mm. This was way back in 1989. Mm -hmm. And um, we implemented self-directed work teams. And we had had a culture where it was check your brain at the door and the boss tells you what to do. And I'd never run a baby food plan. I didn't know how to fix these problems, but I knew there were 800 people that did know how to fix them. Mm-hmm. And it took a long time to build that trust by listening to them and trying what they said. And some things we tried worked and some things we tried didn't work. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you have to, people are watching you all the time as a leader <laughs> to see if your actions support the words that are coming out of your mouth. I was mm-hmm. on the plant floor every day. I ate baby food every day. That was probably the worst. I mean, the bananas were good, but the meats <laughs> weren't so great. Um, but I, I was with them and listening to them and humble in the fact that they knew how to fix things. And we did. We broke even in nine months. Mm-hmm. So it was a great experience of... Um, it's, you know, it's like Edgar Schein also talks about level two relationships and that's, you know, your, your soft as steel, how we build those trusting relationships with people mm-hmm. and, um, and have to be so careful because you can work really hard to build trust with someone and it only takes one thing. And it can even be a really inadvertent thing that mm-hmm. drives that, that trust out of that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. The next thought that comes to mind is, uh, in thinking about, the the time that it takes to get to a place where where you know uh, that 
the leader is leading. Uh, the leader is credible. Mm-hmm. The leader is energizing, motivational, and maybe at times even inspirational. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how long does that take in this process of organizational change? Mm-hmm. It can take a long time. Um, and and one thing that I think is really interesting. So uh, an example just popped into my head that I haven't thought about in years. I was hired as president of a company, and um, that company was kind of performing at, you know, a base level and they hired me to take it to another level. And so I I implemented this thing called team time. Every Thursday we met for two hours. I think there were 13 people in the company. It wasn't a big company. Mm -hmm. And um, during this team time, we went back and reread every strategic plan that had ever been done for this company. It was really a seek first to understand Mm-hmm. and to build trust and to engage people in, okay, this is where we are today. And here's the vision of where we're going. And we had one person that just wasn't on board. And I think sometimes when we say soft as steel in the soft skills, it's about being soft. It, it's, mm-hmm. it, you also have to deal with those people, you know, um, Susan Stringer's grid of performance and culture, the high performers, high culture, you just bonus the heck out of them, low performance, low culture, you make them go away. Mm-hmm. And this person was low culture, high performance. And and I remember pulling this person aside one day and saying, it's not okay to not get in this boat. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working hard to build everyone's trust. And I need you to either get, get on board, you know, I've given me, it's been months, three months, and that person ended up leaving. Mm-hmm. And, and that was okay. That was the right decision for her to go find another boat. But I think, um, uh, back to your question of time, mm-hmm. the more you let things like that drag on mm-hmm. and don't send a clear signal of this is where we're going and people jump in the boat and people get excited about it and let those people kind of sit on the sidelines. Um, it can, um, it can change things, but you know, I mean, six, you should see a significant, some kind of a significant change in culture in six months, 12 months. And that just presumes that the leader and their, and their team are are totally on board, energized, committed, focused, and have a plan. Yep. Uh, and uh, if they need it, they have the benefit of outside coaching or someone to facilitate that process. So they stick to it. And it's interesting that that group, we brought in an outside consultant, probably two years into the process to help us with some more strategic planning. And she said to me, wow, this team is really good at thinking strategically. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's great because we've been practicing it for two hours a week for two years. Mm-hmm. We had another mm-hmm. tactical meeting, but I think that's the other thing is people don't carve time out regularly. You know, strategic thinking is not something you do once a year. Mm-hmm. And we thought strategically about all kinds of different topics, but that ability to take the time when we're all inundated with emails and, mm-hmm. you know, bazillion things and carve time out to lead, carve time out to think strategically is really important and to engage your, your team in that as well. Yeah. So we're both, we're, we both have spent most of our careers in the construction industry. Um, one of the things that I, that, that I say about, about the construction industry, I say a couple of things, particularly if I'm with an audience of, of, uh, union workers, I, I, I remind them quite simply that, uh, as, as long as you can, as long as you can work, you don't have to worry about a job. I said, you know, AI is not going to replace you. Uh, robotics is not going to replace you. It's just, it's just something you're going to leverage. You'll learn how to use it, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, 
and the, and the other thing that I that I, I find interesting in terms of how they react to it is when I share with them when I'm, I'm delivering a project management class, I, I quote a couple of things from CII, uh, and then I you know I bring to their attention that that our industry uh, is an industry that by its very nature should uh, uh, would benefit from it and and maybe should demand cooperation, collaboration, all those nice consulting wor- words, but. I still don't see it, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and, and we've both been in the industry a long, long time, uh, and maybe there's a, you know, a relative handful of, of companies and enterprises that, uh, that have adopted uh, the, the soft side, the people stuff, uh, you know, the, the dialogues that you talked about uh, into, their, into their culture, because I think, I think you, you use a term magnificently, and I, I wrote a note here, so I'm going to steal something you said already and use it, just so you know, I'm just stealing a few things right Great. away. I mean, awesome. yeah, but so... Uh, am I am I being too pessimistic, or are we still, uh, in many ways, an adversarial industry? Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's it's frustrating because we have common enemies out there. Um, we still kill a thousand people a year. We are people are more four to five times more likely to die of suicide actually than they are to die um, in an accident on a job site and being the highest. Uh, rated industry for suicide. Um, we have mm-hmm. a lot of things that we could band together. We have low R&D. Nobody wants to try new things on their project. Let somebody else figure this out. We're, we're not early adopters. When it, I remember giving a keynote speech, gosh, in the late 90s, early 2000s about why are we not a- adopting technology faster? This um, There's so many things we can accomplish with this. And, and it's interesting because this concept of an industry having a culture Mm-hmm. You know, the medical industry has a culture and the construction industry has a culture and how we got to be so adversarial when we're a wonderful industry that builds and maintains the assets of society that should be mm-hmm. revered for building mm-hmm. and maintaining the assets of society. If anybody wants to drive on a road or charge their cell phone, they have the construction mm-hmm. industry to thank. So mm-hmm. um, it's curious to me um, how we've gotten to this point where where we have such a low, low trust in most of our relationships in the industry. Mm-hmm. Well, our good, our good mutual friend, Brent Darnell has, has opined for decades on, on what emotional intelligence is all about and the role it plays in relationships. Uh, the, uh, in fact, we, we gave the uh, title of his, uh, of his conversation with me. We talked about it. The title of this episode was a less jerky alpha. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then someone commented on, on LinkedIn, uh, why aren't you talking about alpha women? Mm. You know, and there's there's a point. There's yeah. a point there, oh, yeah. um, for sure. You know, it's you know, it's you know, this uh, this uh, the the mentality of the alpha is uh, has historically been gendered, uh, but it isn't gender specific. Yeah. Uh, it's about behavior. Yeah, you know, uh, and uh, you know, have, you know, have you noticed? I've learned a lot of things in the last forty years. Huh? You have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are like me. You're a curious person, and you continue to learn. I'm not going to go get another PhD. I think four degrees, and I'm done. I, a lot of people don't remember. I'm a first generation college graduate, as is my sister. We have six degrees between the two of us, and so I, yeah. I took this, this um really seriously. But I'm, I want to go back to your point um, yeah. about trust. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Once again, a story. I was called by a chain of retail stores that you would recognize, and they had just remodeled 200 stores, bid every job, used 50 different contractors, 
across the United States. And they said, we're not sure that was the most cost effective way to do that. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure it wasn't. (laughs) So we worked with them to set up regional alliances and figure out the risk profile, how many, how many stores to give, because they were doing another brand. And, um, you know, so contractor A had this state and contractor B had these three states and, and we are sitting in the final meeting, finalizing this. And the finance person outside of the construction department said, I just don't get this. How do we know we're getting the best price if we don't bid the jobs? Mm -hmm. And I looked at him and I said, this is not a chip plant. This is a retail Mm -hmm. store. You Mm -hmm. should be able to benchmark these contractors off one another and understand that costs are going to be a little different in different areas of the United States. But Mm -hmm. this concept that the contractors are out to rip us off. Mm -hmm. And if we don't, they call it tendering over here in Australia. Um, If we don't do that, we're not going to get the best price. And Mm -hmm. um, so that's a pervasive feeling that somebody is trying to get me and Mm -hmm. i and i don't understand that yeah and if anybody could understand it it would be you with your two with all your degrees and your phd on top of that Mm -hmm. so if you can understand it then it's not to be understood yeah um you know but but i agree with you and i you know again every place i go uh you know this 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 comes up or it's it's a comment by one of the uh one of the union foremen in my classes you know talking about uh general contractor c or d or whatever uh, and then, of course, I remind them about a couple of things. I said, first of all, you can't make a generalization to this firm because every office has a collection of personalities that operate together. So, so one office may be phenomenal to deal with, and the other one is just you don't want to touch them. Mm-hmm. You know. So, and, and I just and I, again, I talk about it in a very practical, down-to-earth, boots-on-the-ground fashion because that's my audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, although last a couple of weeks ago in Las Vegas, my audience was. Uh, was uh, the entire the entire attendance at a conference, and I had the CEOs of several contractors up on the stage, and I did a, a special uh, special episode of the Soft to Steel podcast. Awesome. Uh, which I'm, and I want to talk to you about that after we go off. But um, but anyway, so yeah, go ahead. I, I do think there are some positive examples out there, though, and yeah. um, um, I'm. this is actually kind of funny. Last year I was on the judging panel for the big awards here in Australia, the Australian Mm -hmm. constructors association and engineers, Australia come together to do what's called the Australian construction achievement award. I was one of four judges last year. I'm actually the chair of the judging panel this year. I think I'm the first woman and definitely the first American woman to um, chair the panel, but we got to visit the big, these are big projects. The winner was a new tunnel under Sydney in the Sydney Harbor last year. But one of the things I could uh, was able to deeply learn about is this level crossing. So we have lots of trains and trams in Melbourne mm-hmm. and lots of level crossings that they're trying to eliminate. And they didn't really understand how to do this quickly. So they set up alliances. And so each of the areas of Melbourne is an alliance to work on these level crossings. Well, the other thing they did is they set up a collaboration and innovation hub so that the things that are being learned at each alliance are being shared with the other alliances. And they're really doing some remarkable things. As you can imagine, this isn't a city of 5 million people where you're trying to take out, um, I'm not sure how many total level crossings, but a a lot. And Mm -hmm. um, so- When you say level, you're you're saying above ground tracks? Yes. Yeah. So they're trying to um, you know, make them go under the roads or Mm -hmm. over the roads um, because it Mm -hmm. creates a, a, a 
a traffic problem sure. <laughs> to have yeah. all these trams and trains running around. But I mm-hmm. see, I see snippets like that and um, of people getting it, get, you started out by saying collaboration, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that they see this um, relationship building and that, um, yeah, um, things like that, that give me hope that we can do things mm-hmm. in a more collaborative and effective way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've been pretty encouraged lately. I've, you know, I've, I've, uh, I'm trying to, what's the right word, diversify my engagement types uh, uh, a bit. And because I've been very heavily involved with one building trades union for, uh, for a long while, for, 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 began 15 years ago. Uh, and, and my involvement with them increased quite a bit in the last several years. But one of the things that I'm, that I'm having success with is, again, under the banner of me being the soft skills guy, um, you know, uh, selling, um, the idea that one of the things that can help uh, organizations improve the relationships within their organization and their teams is for them to, to first learn some things about themselves and then learn things about others is the way I phrase it. And, and the way you learn some things about yourself uh, are with, you know, one of a handful of highly credible assessment tools uh, that are out there, you know, again, Brent has his, his, uh, his library of tools. Uh, I use another one, but the idea that, you know, one of the inherently difficult things for a human being to do is, is to, is to look in the mirror and honestly see what they see in the mirror. Uh, and I'm not talking at a, at a deep spiritual, I'm just talking about, you know, uh, you know, not, not being honest about the fact that, you know, I, you know, I can be a bit of an ass on a job site or, you know, I mean, people don't like to work for me and, and, uh, and I don't understand that. Well, take a step back, do a little assessment, gather some facts, uh, and then use those facts to improve your ability to understand other people. And then it, to me, it's, to me, it's just it's kind of a snowball. And I've done that with contractors. And, and I just talked to one that I did a program for them back in December. And they said to me two days ago, they said, you know, he said, it's unbelievable what a difference it made. And it still makes a difference. We still talk about this. We talk about our, our behavioral style. We talk about, you know, our, our, uh, our, our, our mindset around different inclinations from an emotional intelligence standpoint, blah, 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 blah. So that stuff is really important. You know, and again, I, I call it, uh, I call it, uh, you know, fact gathering, mm. um, uh, because, you know, if you, if you have a, um, a credible source for these facts, then why would you not try to use them for the benefit of yourself and others? I'm, so, smi- I'm smiling. Because, you are smiling. Good. Yeah. Well, Cause I have a slide, whether it's a lecture, you know, I, I lecture in two MBA programs. I'm, I'm uh, kicking off a, a new first time leaders program in the pipeline industry. I've become very engaged in the pipeline industry here in Australia. Mm-hmm. I have this slide and it's somebody looking in a mirror. And I just, I say this over and over again, you have to understand yourself mm-hmm. brutally honest. Mm-hmm. And Dennis, I don't know if when we worked together, I had started this. This is a great question because I was trying to remember how long I've been doing this, but I am anonymously reviewed by everyone who works for me twice a year, twice a year. They have an anonymous opportunity to give me feedback. And I think the anonymous part is really important. And then I sit down with the team and say, okay, here's what you told me. One year mm-hmm. it was Gretchen, you give us projects and you don't give us enough detail about you, what you want. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah. I totally do that. <laughs> and, and so then I worked on it and I said, okay, here's what I'm going to try. 
and I need your help too. So when I hand off a project, I'm going to try and do this and this and this, and you're going to give me feedback. And six months from now, we're going to see if Gretchen's doing better. Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, I had a CEO friend who empowered one of her senior leaders to give her feedback after every meeting she was working on not shutting down conversations so fast. So she mm-hmm. would walk out of the meeting and turn to whoever, Jane, and say, hey, Jane, how'd I do there? And she'd say, well, this was good, but you could have made maybe let that go a little longer. So mm-hmm. this concept of feedback loops and how you gather this factual information, not the emotional. I mean, people are going to, you know, Gretchen, you did this that annoyed me the other day, but right. really meaningful um, because we all have blind spots. Um, mm-hmm. And so getting, I 100% agree with you using to um, assessments and tools, but, but gathering that feedback from people in whatever way that you can. Mm-hmm. And it, when you're president of the company, you don't have peers. And, and so mm-hmm. that's why that was so critical um, to, to get the feedback from the people that I worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Did I do that back when we worked together? I, I can't remember. I don't, when I I don't recall that, but, but if I were to recall, I would recall it this way. I gave you feedback it was incredible because you were fantastic and uh, all those other things that I would have said at that point in time. Thanks. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, again, we all, I mean, it, it, is, it is kind of interesting and we, because relationships, look at this relationship. Uh, you know, we've had, a, we've had an ongoing relationship for 21 years yeah. and we haven't had contact. I mean, I'm the, the last two times that I saw you were in Denver. Uh, one was when I came and visited and had a very nice evening with you and your partner. Uh, and and the one before that was when I brought my sons when I went on that disastrous su- summer vacation to Seven Springs or wherever it was uh, uh, in Colorado and uh, and we came and visited you guys and had dinner yeah and and uh, and I think those are the last two times that you and I have been in the same place together uh, and, and and as I'm talking to you now it uh, it, it makes me kind of sad because. Uh, because uh, you, you genuinely are one of those people. And that's why I chose the words I chose, you know, again, I, I hope you didn't mind my introduction, but I chose my words very carefully. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, it, it didn't take much thought, but when I describe you as authentic and caring, that's what I mean. Thank you. Uh, and I, and I think that's one of the reasons, uh, among others, I mean, your, your, your academic preparation, your knowledge accumulation, all those things are hugely important to you being able to do and provide valuable advice to people. But I think it's about who you are and how you are with people that makes all that hard skill stuff so much more valuable to the people you work with. Mm-hmm. I, just, I think that's you. I'm not trying to be overly nice to you. Yes. So I'm giving you feedback right now. Thank you. So we're almost out of time, unfortunately. Somebody advised me that keeping these things to about 30 minutes is a good from a podcasting standpoint. But I just want to take a couple more minutes and ask you to comment on what I feel continues to be the biggest challenge in commerce and industry and in the construction industry, certainly. And that is when we use words like inclusion and diversity mm-hmm. and terms like that. Where do you think the construction industry is from your vantage point with regards to what inclusion is in its most positive intent? But where are we in your view? I think we're a battleship that's turned about five degrees. I just read a great book, Four Days to Change, Mm -hmm. and I sit on the Associated General Contractors Diversity and Inclusion Committee now and heard Mm -hmm. an amazing presentation by a third-generation contractor who went through this training, the White Man's Caucus, to understand Mm -hmm. that (laughs) there's a hint. There's a white male 
culture. And it's not white male bashing, but if you're a white male and you're in it, you're in it. You don't realize you're in that bubble and you don't realize mm -hmm. what it feels like to be somebody who's not. And I've been successful. I've tried to see it as an advantage to be a woman in construction. How many tall Gretchens are there walking around? In fact, I even left the industry and changed my last name and came back and people still knew who I was, right? Right. They're like, right. the name tag yeah. says Gretchen Gagel, but I thought you were Gretchen McComb, which I was <laughs> when right. I was at FMI. Yeah. And yeah. I would really recommend this book, Four Days to Change, because it's understanding unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. So when I became president of Continuum Advisory Group, Mark and Clark hired me as president. People would ask me, are you a woman-owned business? And I would say no. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they would say, well, why did Mark and Clark hire you as president? People actually <laughs> said that to me. Yeah. And yeah, I'd say, because it. I'm the most qualified person, we've worked together in the past and I have the skill set to be president. They recognize right. that and hired me. Right. Right. But if you've never experienced that kind of unconscious bias on the other side, it's very hard to understand. And we all have it. So I think yeah. we're a battleship that's turned about 5%. We understand that we need to attract a more diverse population to be successful. And it's this contractor, by the way, credited an increase from 200 million to 500 million in three years to their diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. Wow. So it's not just because it feels good and it's, mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of research out there. There's the number yeah. one differentiator of making teams smart is having women on the team. Mm -hmm. Number one. Yeah. I yeah. think we'll make I agree. progress. And I agree that the research says that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're uh, at the end of our visit. And uh, what I will say to you is that sometime within the next year, you will get a new invitation to come back and talk again. Uh -huh. And I hope you'll accept that invitation sometime down the road. I want to close by saying to you with a great deal of affection that I care about you as a human being. I feel like you've been a friend all these years, even though we haven't been in contact. We're a great case study for folks to look at and see that relationships aren't always about sitting next to each other every day. We share values. We obviously share thoughts with regards to everything we've talked about. It felt like we were just kind of repeating each other's words in some regards. You use bigger words and better words, but nonetheless. But I wish you, you know, continued success in everything you do and would be silly for me not to say, get somebody to, to pay me to come down to Australia and there give up a freaking keynote speech, you know, and they don't have to pay a lot. I give them a special deal, just airfare and meal money. Because that's one of the places, in fact, I talked to somebody at an event two weeks ago in Las Vegas from Australia. I gave them this very same uh, rude in-your-face pitch. Yeah. But again, thank you so much. Yeah. Yes. Dennis, I really care about you too. And I really admire everything you are doing to make the construction industry a better place. Because if we all roll our sleeves up and do that, it will be a better place. So thank you so much for having me on and really admire all the work you're doing. Thanks. Thanks, Gretchen. Take care. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Softest Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran. Dennis is the author of Softest Steel and a leading speaker and trainer for organizations across many industries and verticals. To learn more about the work Dennis is doing to activate soft skills in the workplace, contact him at DennisDuranSpeaking.com. Be sure to check out his book, Softest Steel, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. And please remember to share this episode with your friends, colleagues, and anyone you feel would benefit from the conversation. We'll see you next time on the Softest Steel Podcast with Dennis Duran.
Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.